Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you this morning. So happy to be back. I want to say thank you to a couple of people this week, uh, or really this past week, that uh, made my life a little bit easier. A few people. Christy, thank you so much last week for, at the last minute, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to be there. Um, and Adam Purvis, who's not with us, but I'm so thankful for him stepping up here with, I hear, a spiral notebook and just whatever God gave him. I haven't heard it yet. Uh, I need to listen to it. Uh, um, I'm looking forward to hearing it this week along with my own sermon, which is, y'all don't know, Monday mornings are interesting. I have to edit my sermon and go, man, I can't, why do they show up for this? Like, my own accent drives me bananas, but it's been a, it's been a hard week for my family. Um, and I, I got to admit, there's something kind of weird going on, I think, that maybe it's a good thing, like, when there's tragedy in your life, you kind of wonder why, and you kind of wonder, you know, what what God's trying to teach you, so... I'm working through that church. If you, when you pray for me, just pray for wisdom uh, more than anything. I, I, I'm not as interested in like having some kind of deep peace or comfort. I want to know what the purpose of it all is because <clears throat> I miss my uncle and uh, <laughs> and um, but I'm excited this week to be getting into the the book of Romans today. And I'm like really. I'm not sure why God picked this particular passage today <laughs> for us because I. I could have preached on a lot of things today, and yet this is where we had planned all year to be. We planned to be in the book of Romans once again, and this one's very interesting because it's about authority. It's about governing bodies, and I don't know where this is going to land on you today. I'm just prayerful that along with you, me and you are going to figure out what God's trying to teach us today. And my study is brought me in one place, but maybe I'm hopeful that the Spirit of God will bring you somewhere you need to be today, and that more than anything, we're going we're gonna to decide together as a church, as a people, that we care more about the important things than anything else. And I think at the heart of this message is that, that there's stuff that matters more than our opinions. There's stuff that matters more than our political persuasions, and that's kind of, we're going to kind of glance at that today. There's stuff that just matters more than even making money or my career. That's kind of where my head is right now. It's like relationships, you don't know what you're missing until it's gone. And it's not here anymore. And so you start to go, okay, what's important? And so that's where I want to be today is in Romans. And now, the interesting thing is we've been, some of you are newer to our church and you're going to have to go back and catch like 30 sermons. All right. This is part four of righteousness revealed. And over the last several years, we've been going through bites of Romans. And it's a monster book. Most people consider, most theologians, most writers would consider this to be Paul's, his masterpiece, really. This is the Apostle Paul's piece de resistance, if you will. This is his, this is his master class, all right? And so we've been taking our sweet time through it on purpose. And we're going to finish it together in the next few weeks. And so I'm starting in chapter 13, and I want to remind you of why we called it Righteousness Revealed. In Romans chapter 1 verse 16, it said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. 
That's why we titled it this way. That really is the key to the whole, the whole book here, is that God is revealing His righteousness to us. Now, we spent 11 chapters together over the last few years talking about the doctrine of the gospel. And if you remember back, this was some heavy, heavy lifting. Well, it's kind of heavy today, but in a different way. In those first 11 chapters, it was all about the, the, the propositions and the doctrine and learning what it means to be Jew and Greek, what it means to be uh, the people of God and, and how we as sinners can, can choose faith and choose righteousness in Christ Jesus. And now in chapter 12 and on, he moves to what we might call more like prescription. He's telling us what to do with what he's just told us. The Spirit of God is now informing that. And so he begins Romans 12 verse 1 and continues to the end of the book with this idea. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by your mind. What we're going to read together now in just a few moments is going to test that. It's going to test that. He goes on in Romans 12 to talk about how we should deal with ourselves and then how to encounter fellow believers. And then towards the end of Romans 12, he even talks about how to deal with your enemies. He's continuing that thought today. As we get into Romans 13, We've titled this message, Dual Citizenship, and that's really important for you today. Look, there's Christians all over the world right now, and some are in great deal of persecution. A, a, a right many of them are. In fact, interestingly enough, the 21st century has had more martyrdom than just... I mean, if you go back to the 20th century, for instance, it is, has more martyrs than any other century combined. And people don't realize that. Because we don't often hear about that, but the as the population grows, persecution has gone up in a lot of parts of the world. And so this idea of being a citizen of both where we are and where we'll be is so, is so important today. It's so important that you remember that above all things, that as Paul here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is describing Christians and how they should relate to the governing bodies and authorities over them, that we remember our citizenship is not of this world. And that's first and foremost. When we read Romans 13 now, you're going to feel yourself resisting. Because I did. And you probably will. And you're going to start to think of some exceptions to the text. You're going to ask questions like, well, what about Hitler? What about Stalin? What about Mao? What about Nero? What about, and you're going to fill in that blank, and you're going to go, okay, what about those exceptions? Well, I'm going to address those towards the end. I'm not going to take them on yet because I want to read in and study some with you first. But the second reason is equally important as to why you might resist. It's because it's our nature. We need to come to this conclusion first, is that rebellion is at our core. At the core of our sin nature is truly rebellion. And so when God tells us to do something, whether it's this or that, resistance is often our first step. Because to follow Him often requires authentic, real change. But to find peace of Christ and to find joy, to find the fruit of the Spirit, we actually have to follow. <laughs> we have to tear down those walls of rebellion and say, okay, God. So let's do that together. 
I know some walls are going to come up as we read this text. There's all this political division in our country right now, all this turmoil. November, like everybody's getting ready, right? Midterms. And what if the transformed mind says, you know what? There's something way more important, way more important, that my relationship to my neighbor is more important than what he thinks about the next candidate. Because eternity is so much farther and so much longer than the next whoever's in office. And I'm really. I'm really there right now. I pray God keeps me there and, and that we transition there together. That As we dig into Romans 13 right now, we'll see a, the Apostle Paul now instructing the believers in Rome who are under great persecution to live under subjection to authorities. And as Christians, God is calling us to live as often as we might in subjection to the authorities. So the text is going to give us three reasons. Paul really paints kind of a, a why here. So we're asking that question, why? Why has God called us this way? So let's dig in and prepare to rebel with me. And then we'll, we'll, we'll put down those walls of resistance. In verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Are you willing to say God bless the reading of His Word? Amen? This one's interesting. How is this possible? Why are we called this way? Well, the first is maybe the most important, and that is because our submission is to God's authority and not man's. It's first to God's authority. And Paul is making an interesting statement here. Look, he says the word authority several times here. It's obviously his, one of his major points. He says, be subject to this governing authorities and this authority and, and don't resist authority. And this idea of be subject is an interesting word. It's a word we've used several times when we preach, and that is the word hupotasso. It's the idea of come under. Hupo means to come under, and tasso means to subject or arrange. It's kind of a military term, really. It's the idea that this person holds rank, so I will line up under. It's not because I necessarily think this person is amazing or that everything this person says is good and true. It's that I do this because I'm a private and this person's a sergeant. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody and this person has rank. That's the idea of the word here. And it's in the middle voice, which means I'm doing it inside myself. There's no external things that are saying, oh, well, this person's great, so I should. Well, that's easy. Let's just be honest. It's easy 
to, to line up under. It's easy to, to be subordinate to a boss who's awesome. That's not, that doesn't take Christ. But it takes Christ to line up under somebody and be subject to somebody that's not worthy of it. And the reason he's saying we should do it is not because this person is worthy, but because God has ordained it. And what is the purpose? Well, God perhaps has put you in that role to be a great witness. I have no doubt that part is true. That the way you line up under is actually a gospel witness, not only to that boss, that employer, that governing, governing body, but also to those around you that are going, we hate it. And they ask, why are you the way that you are? Be subject, hupo. Tasso, line up, arrange under a governing authority. This, is, this word authority is, is, is the power of, of choice. This person has the ability to, to determine things in your life. They have authority. They have influence. There's a lot of people like this in your life. Whether you voted for them or not, whether you elected them, whether you chose this job and realized later, oh, that's my boss. Oh my gosh. And they have power and influence over you, over your schedule, over what you pay, over what you... There's so much that we deal with that people have authority over us. And yet in this very instance, God writes through Paul and says, these people aren't here by accident. That's super troubling. And I understand all the exceptions that are coming to your mind. And we're going to address those in a little while, but... At the end of the day, my rebellion has to come down to the point. I have to push my resistance down to the point where I say, well, God, I have no idea why you're doing this in our country, why you're doing this in my workplace. I have no idea what you're up to. But here's what I will do. I will line up under you and trust that you're going to do what's best in my life and that you're going to use me for eternal things that really matter more than... And and don't get me wrong, I hate paying taxes as much as the next guy. Uh, I don't enjoy that. I I, I don't enjoy having to, as he puts in the very end, revenue to those revenue his own. Wouldn't it be nice if when we went and made a purchase at a store, it was that price? Like, wouldn't that be cool? It says $10.99, I come to the counter with $10.99. Boy, that would be so great. And yet it's all this change that some of us know how to figure out on the spot. I'm always like, well, it's going to be, I don't know, it's going to be way more than it should. And Taxes, taxes, and gas would be less. And, and yet it's part of the governing authority that God says Sue Paul, he's in charge of. He's not surprised. Nothing shocks him. And these, <laughs> these people are here under His command. It says, in fact, if we missed it, it says in verse 2, He appointed them and we shouldn't resist. Submit to the government for the Lord's sake. Peter writes something similarly in 1 Peter 2. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should Put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Peter and Paul are here writing in the 50s and 60s AD, and if you know history at all, you know that this is right smack dab in the middle of Emperor Nero's reign who is one of the the worst emperors of all time when it comes to Christianity. 
This is a man, go back and read about it. This is a man that had Christians rounded up so that he could execute them in the Colosseum in ways that the fans would cheer for and lions would eat them. Just horrible stuff. It's said that he hung them from posts and lit them on fire to light the streets at one point in time. That's insane. And yet it's that person that Paul is writing this to. I don't understand it. And yet the power of Christ in me is beginning to unpack it and go, look, look what Peter is saying. Look what Paul is saying. That when we live for our part in such a way that we live for good and we honor those around us. It says in verse 17 of that Peter verse, honor everyone. That we shouldn't be using our freedom. That we shouldn't say, well, I don't serve I don't serve this president. He's not, I didn't elect him, and so I'm not going to pay my taxes. And we go around about it and we say all these things. And, and yet it's in that very moment that I hear the words of Paul and Peter and the Holy Spirit echoing. No, live sensibly, live peaceably among them. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom for evil. Paul's writing this. And just before Nero was someone named Claudius who began to run the Jews out of Rome. It says in Acts 18, in fact, it talks about this, how Aquila and Priscilla were were, were basically expelled from the city. And yet in that very same time period, this Roman government built these amazing roads. Roads that still stand today. This amazing infrastructure that the gospel could spread in. In the midst of all of that persecution and trial, God was doing something amazing for His kingdom. I wonder, I'm going to relieve some of your attention here in a minute. I know I feel it. I feel it too. But I wonder if you can take step one with me and just simply say, you know, my boss, for a lot of you, it's on that level. That's where it's really at. You could care less so much about who's president or whatever, or maybe you care a whole lot, but... For a lot of you, it's really personal down on that low level where somebody's in authority over you and it ain't going so well. Can you take step one and just say, you know, God's in charge. This person didn't get this position somehow sneakily without God knowing. Now they might have weaseled their way there and you might know that they did dirty tricks to get to their position. But guess who's not surprised? God. So if He's in charge, what am I supposed to do about that? That's the better question. The better question is, God, what do I do in subordination to this person? How would you be glorified in it? Because right now I hate this. But God, you have a purpose. Show it to me. Here's the second. The second why that God has put us in this role. It's because it honors them as God's servants. Boy, that one is something. The fact that several times in the text it says these people are servants of God. How can that be? And yet, the very argument here is like this idea of of being under the law and not resisting it, not doing evil, not using our freedom for injustice, but rather saying, you know what? When people are penalized for committing crimes, I I should be supportive of that. Like, I shouldn't be a part of the the criminal organization in my city. No, the Christianity should be against that. It should be so far from that. Rather, I should be supportive of those who do what is right, and enforce what is good. This, I think, has the idea from the president down to the police, down to the governor. I mean, I think this is the idea of what Paul is writing here in that in verse 3, he talks about this good conduct and do what is good. That that should be the nature of what people see from us. Is that the works of Christ are apparent in us. 
that we honor others, we love people, that we do what is right. For as much as our conscience can, we do what is good in the eyes of others. N.T. Wright, when writing on the subject, he says this, No good will come to the cause of the gospel by followers of Jesus being regarded as crazy dissidents who won't cooperate with the most basic social mechanisms. There are certain things that should be basic ethics that we say yes to. I've got, I think there's a handful of police officers in here, at least people who have been that, in that type of work before. There should be a piece of us that's supportive of them simply because they do something that must be done. It must be done. Now, heaven will be a place with no police. So will hell. But this place, we have laws. <laughs> and the laws are here supposed to be here to protect us. And most of them, thank, thank, thank goodness we live in a country that at this point is still mostly this way, that our laws protect our people. And that the police enforce such laws. And so those are servants of God. Those in power are servants of God and that they protect the citizens, or at least that's their, that's their duty. We won't need that kind of stuff in heaven. You know, some people would very much like for, for, for police to not have to carry anything violent or not have to carry anything like that. And I, would, I wish that were true. I really do. I wish that were true. But people are, are evil. And people keep doing evil stuff. And I hate that any one of us would have to fight them, but somebody has to. And so what do we do as citizens who aren't in that line of work? Well, let's honor them as God's servants. That's just one piece. That's just one of many pieces. <coughs> Otherwise, verse 4 says they bear the sword and they don't do it in vain. This is the idea of judicial punishment. There's a penalty for wrongdoing. And God has ordained that. How can we honor them as God's servants? Well, one thing I think we should be doing a lot more of, rather than getting online and talking about our disdain and telling all of our friends how much we hate our country and how much we hate everything else that's going on in our society, what if instead of all of that verbiage, we turn that to prayer? What if we take all of that stuff that just makes us look like lunatics and people don't know what's so great about Christ when you struggle worse than I struggle? What if we turn all that into prayer? And say, God, my... I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know what's going on in this society. I disagree with this, 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 and this, God. But you're in charge. Your word says you're in charge. What are you, what are you up to? What do you want me to do about it? What's my role in it? What if instead of blasting others in, at the water cooler, at the workplace, or online, and blasting them and saying, you guys are totally wrong. They might be totally wrong. You ever want anybody to the gospel that way? I've not seen it happen. Maybe you have. Talk to me afterwards. Where you just lambasted somebody online about their political views and they said, you know what? You're right. You're right. And I believe in Christ as a result. Never seen it. In fact, I've never even seen anybody change their mind. Ever. Never seen it happen. So it can't be working. What's the point? It's not that you're wrong, my friend. It's not that your views are incorrect. You might be spot on. But what's your goal? Because if it's not honoring Christ, honoring others so that they might honor Christ, your goal is far too short. It's too small and you're not going to get there either. 
Let's turn all of this worry and anxiety and all this self-doubt and all this worry about our society, let's turn it first into prayer and then figure out how we might love others first and honor them. I'm not saying agree with them because they might flat out be wrong about a lot of things. But no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. It's true, it always will be true. What would it look like to shift things? Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Look where he goes. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God and our Savior. Wow. Friends, what's the first thing you do if you see blue lights in your review mirror? Some of you are the blue lights, so we know. I, for you, it's joy, I think. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, it's like, I'm going to get them. I, I don't think that's totally true, but maybe it is. If someone's going excessively fast, I imagine there's a bit of joy. But for most of us, what's the first thing we do? We look at the speedometer. We look down at the speedometer, and either our fears are relieved or they're increased. And we go, oh no, I'm in big trouble. I'm going down Winstead Avenue way too fast, which is where I'm going to go fast. And I see you guys. I know where you're hanging out, though. I'm, and if it's you guys, I'm hoping pastor privilege. <laughs> Actually, completely the opposite. Completely the opposite. Because I should know better. Because that would be in disagreement with what I'm preaching right now, wouldn't it? I'd would be in complete opposition to the Word of God. That I would just flippantly use my freedom for my own wills. Sometimes our fears are increased. I often think two things. I think, okay, I'm not going too fast, but I guarantee you my tags are out. Like, I've been pulled so many times for that. I just forget that so much. They're about out again, John. Don't hit me later. I wonder, though, does it ever cross your mind, I'm being pulled over by one of God's servants. Boy, there's a, there's a thinker. What would it look like to be respectful? What would it look like to show God's servants mercy, be in prayer for them? I hope I don't get pulled anytime soon, but I, I am hoping that if that happens, I'll, <laughs> I'll have a different mindset. That I'll think, you know what? I wonder what's going on with this person today. I wonder how I can pray for them. And regardless of the, the scenario, that should be our mindset. Here's the last and final why. Well, it's because of our transformed, God-given conscience. Paul writes in Romans 12, we've been transformed. Our minds, no longer conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewal that is in Christ Jesus. That means simply we think different, or we should. It means we don't think like everybody else. That when something changes in the political environment or in their, in their personal world, when something shifts, there's great fear and terror. And the reason for that is there's no hope that's bigger. So a, a small shift is going to hurt their wallet. A small shift is going to hurt just how they function. They're comfortable. But we've been transformed. We understand there's something more. Our hope is not in these things, but in something bigger. 
our hope goes beyond. And so when we look along with Paul here at verse 5 in conclusion, he says there, he says, also for the sake of conscience. Now I think that's the little bite that Paul gives us to where we should use our transformed mind to look at some of these exceptions that have all popped into your head and go, okay, wait a minute. What about Hitler? Well, first of all, let me say this. God didn't miss that one. It's not like that was the great gray area where God said, well, I had nothing to do with that. No, he, he was still in charge. He was still aware. But that's a scenario where there were people who resisted and people who didn't. And I think that's where our conscience comes into play. Where now we say in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Sometimes God's law goes completely in the opposite of man's. It may happen in our society. Some of you would probably argue it already is happening. In that society, whether it's Hitler or Stalin or Mao or whoever, you fill in the blank, some terrorist, some terrible leader that killed many of his people, you fill in that blank. That's when we can't conform to the world. When man's law tries to supersede God's law, we have to have some resistance. But then he lists some things here that aren't those kind of categories. <laughs> Verses 6 and 7, he says, pay taxes, revenue, respect, honor. These are the things he says are owed. And that they're ministers of God and they're doing, they're doing work, the Lord's work in a way in our world and that we owe them these things. So the conscience then is our moral compass that is best kept clear. It says in Acts 24, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. That means I work really hard before I decide to resist something. I work really hard to say, okay, God, is this an area where in order to, to be one of your kids, I, I, can't be a, I can't be a good citizen? in order to really follow you. So I do these things with a clear conscience. I don't just flippantly move into anything. In fact, there's another passage where the Pharisees were trying to stump Jesus. There's a lot of sections you could go to where the Pharisees were trying to stump Him. They failed. They failed a lot. I, I don't know why they kept trying because they looked so dumbfounded often throughout the text. But here they come asking Jesus about taxes. Because there's a great many people in Israel who in this time period are under Roman rule and there's a great many who would like to overthrow it. There shouldn't be Roman taxes. Why are we doing this stuff? So they come asking him that. What does Jesus say? He says in Matthew 22, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He asks them what's on the coin. And it's got a picture of Caesar on the coin. He said, well render to Caesar what is Caesar's. But to God what is God's. That means there are some things in this life that are His and we must, in good conscience, resist. I love what one pastor preaching on this topic, his name's Pastor Skip Heitzig, he said, a Christian should be a good citizen until being a good citizen means being a bad Christian. That's often not what we're dealing with, church. We often look loony. This time might come it may even be on its way. But what we currently have, at least in our government, is a system where we can do things legally for change. There are certain things that need to shift that we can be a part of in a, 
legal way rather than to completely <laughs> raise the militia and say, all right, we're going out. <laughs> we're going out and taking the town. No. But there may come a time where we as a church, and just being upfront about this, there's some things that they're working on on a governmental level that would remove church's ability to have a tax-exempt status. That's a real thing that if pastors uh, would become required, let's say, to do homosexual marriages or something. I'm just filling the blank. There's a lot of things in these scenarios uh, that, that they could require. And if churches make the decision, you know what, we're, we disagree with that law, we're not going to do that, that they would have legal action to remove like a tax-exempt status. Okay? That would be a scenario, I think, where we have to put the, the Word of God above some other word. And so we say, well, okay, go for it. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, that means when you give to the church, it's no longer taxed. I mean, it's no longer tax-free. You, you get taxed on your gifts, on your charities. So it might make some of you go, well, <laughs> I don't feel like giving anymore. I got a feeling maybe not. Maybe the, church, maybe the people who are authentically following God don't care too much about that. But what it really might mean is, okay, well, then the church can't pay me. Guess what I can do? I can still preach. And I can work a nine to five. I've done it before. I can do it again. If God wants me to do that, I'll do that. That's where being a good Christian is more important than being a good citizen. There might be scenarios like this in our future. Maybe I'll survive until it never happens to me, but it might happen to our children. Look, there's a few examples in the Bible that talk about these kinds of times. For instance, as Randy mentioned earlier, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was a golden image put up of King Nebuchadnezzar that everybody was supposed to worship, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. Throw us in the fire. Go for it. And I imagine they thought that was the end. I mean, I, I don't know why they would think any different, but God showed up in a miraculous way. Look, God doesn't always show up in a miraculous way, but He did here. But would it have been any less? Would it have been diminished in any way had they suffered and died? No, it wouldn't have been any less. In fact, there are scenarios in the text where God doesn't do miracles this way. And yet the point remains the same. That there are certain scenarios where if I have to worship someone on the same level as God, I can't do that. Daniel runs into a similar thing under King Darius where the other officials got jealous of him and said that they had to they made a law that people had to pray to the king rather than any of their gods, and Daniel just kept on praying. <laughs> what's, interestingly, uh, what's interesting about Daniel to me is that he kept praying in the same way. I, I, may have, I may have been somewhat wanting to pray in the closet or pray by my bedside, but he had a, a habit of opening up his windows three times a day and praying. <laughs> Easy to catch that. And yet that's what he did. Got thrown in the lion's den. It's a pretty cool child story. It's a way cooler adult story that God closed up the mouths of the lions, that He did that. Why? He did that because Daniel honored Him above. When it comes to worship, when it comes to will I worship God or worship man, those are those scenarios where I have to be a good Christian first. Peter does something similar in the New Testament in Acts chapter 5. They're commanded to stop preaching Jesus. I got news for y'all, church. There's one thing I won't stop doing. I don't care what the government says. I must preach. I have one commission, and so do you. So do you, believer. 
Go make disciples of all nations. That is it. Now, there are many other things we should follow in Scripture. There are many things that He's instructed us for our good. But the main mission of the people of God is make disciples. And no law can ever make us stop. We must resist that. I'll pay taxes. Okay. I'll get confused every time I ring something up that it's not 1099 and something more. But I must preach Jesus. He is my life. He is my all. I don't have life apart from Him. People must know. They must know. Peter says, likewise, we must obey God rather than man in Acts 5. So there are times when our consciences must dictate if there are unrighteous laws. But most of the time, church, most of the time, we must admit we resist when we shouldn't. (laughs) Too often we resist simply because we're uncomfortable or we don't like it. When instead we should be about God's business. We should be about reaching the lost. Be careful. Your human tendency, my friend, and mine too, is disobedience and not submission. The gospel we've received has so many implications about how we should live. I I pray it's transforming your mind as it's transforming mine. That we would show our submission to God and to His authority. That we would honor, as Peter said, honor everyone. But certainly honor our leaders as servants of God. That He's... They're not there by mistake. And God has a plan. It may be hard to see at times, but He's in charge. And follow your transformed, God-given conscience. Let's pray together now, church. Heavenly Father, first of all, let me do what I feel encouraged and charged to do first, and that is to pray for this society. First of all, let me start on a close, a close proximity, God. There are right many people that are upset about the political landscape of our city. If you ever watch city council or anything like that, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of concern. There's a lot of people in this room, even and all throughout our city, that have huge disagreements with how things are going. And perhaps they're right about a lot of that. I have no doubt that they're right about a lot of things. And yet, God, I want to do something else. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for our mayor, for our city council, Lord, that You would, more than anything, God, that You would get a hold of their lives. If they don't yet walk with You, God, would You begin to put people around them that would show Christ to them in a real way? That we, these people in this city, at least starting in this church, that we would honor them even when they may not deserve it. We would honor them because, God, we love You and we honor You. And that You would give us opportunities, God, to witness to them. To bear witness with our lives or even with our mouths, Lord. God, would You do that in our state? Maybe we don't agree with everything that's happening in our society. It's certainly not in our state. But God, we lift up Governor, Governor Cooper, his staff. We lift them up now. God, I pray more than anything, let the gospel go out in a real way. (laughs) Yeah, I might disagree with them on a hundred issues, but God, I don't... Help me to have eternity in mind. Help us as your church to have eternity in mind first, that everything else would take a second place. It's not that we don't care about these things, that some of which do matter to you, God. But the thing that matters most to you, and I believe it today, is that all men would come to Christ. You say in your word, in fact... 
I desire that all men be saved. And I worry, God, that sometimes in our anger and our pride and in our willingness to always be right, we shove people from the gospel. God, help us to put gospel first. Maybe down the road you want to change minds on certain topics. And I'm sure that's true. But I'm convinced that people need a godly perspective before they can ever have godly intentions and godly laws. Godly laws only come from godly people. God, we pray for our state. We pray for our president. President Biden. His staff. God, many of us didn't vote for him, but it matters not. He's in authority because you put him there. God, I pray you would put people on his team when you would put people in his face that preach Christ and love you and honor you in everything that they do. I pray that you would put that around him, that we as the citizens of this country would obey for as much as we possibly can by our God-given conscience, that we would honor and respect, pay what is due, not because we want to or these people deserve these things, but because, God, we love you and we know the gospel can go out in in this type of soil. God, we lift all those people up. We lift up our bosses right now. Church, you fill in the blank right now. Even that boss you really can't stand, put his name in your prayer right now. God, we lift them up. God, would you take care of these many businesses that are represented here? The chief of police, whoever else in town is in charge of so many of our citizens, God, that we lift them up to you right now. Would you get a hold of their lives? I pray more than anything we would see revival in this place, that our city would be set ablaze by the gospel, that that would change. That would change our societies if people would love you. And let's, let's make that first. God, I'm about that. I'm about that. I pray you won't allow me to shift my mind, but I would have it fully set on you. Church, I pray that over you, that our eyes would be set on Jesus and He would be first. And nothing would supersede Him. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.